Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and in this episode, we are finally discussing one of the paramounts of pop culture. You've been waiting for it. Star Wars. I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to do these episodes, but I ultimately decided that I wanted to go in chronological order of the story that we've all been experiencing and watching unfold for 42 years. And so, rather than beginning with the original trilogy, aka episodes 4, 5, and 6, we are beginning with the hotly debated prequels. And by hotly debated, I mean generally disliked. However, Winston is an ardent defender of these movies, and so I was very excited to discuss these films with him, and I think that you'll find that he makes some very good points. Rather than discussing each of the prequels individually, we discuss all three as a whole, and because of that, the discussion was a bit longer than I wanted for just one episode, so we're splitting this conversation into two. But I will be releasing the next episode next week, right in time for the release of The Rise of Skywalker. I am really excited about this series. It's something that Winston especially is passionate and knowledgeable about, and we've got some great guests coming up, so I hope you enjoy. Just beware, there are going to be spoilers in all of these episodes probably, so if you somehow haven't seen Star Wars but you intend to, you might want to go watch Star Wars! What are you doing? Thank you, as always, to our patrons, and a special thanks to our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, and Jacob Penfold, who are all as awesome as a lightsaber duel. And to our advanced producers, Mara Zobrist and Michael Beck, who carry this podcast like Ewan McGregor carries most of the scenes in these films. We are gearing up to release some bonus mini-episodes, including our holiday movie pairings, and yes, Die Hard will be included, and our advanced producer live streams, including a roundup of our favorite musicals. If this sounds fun to you, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 and get all sorts of boozy bonus content. Thank you also to our sponsor for this week, Wink. Give the gift of wine this holiday season, either to yourself or someone else, by going to trywink.com slash pairingpodcast for $22 off your first order of wine. Last but not least, thank you for listening. We literally could not do this without you, our listeners, and we love interacting with you. Let us know either on social media or emailing us at pairingpodcast at gmail.com what your favorite episode of pairing was this year. And while you're at it, maybe send that episode over to a friend who you think might enjoy it. All right, without further ado, here is episode 52, The Star Wars Prequels, Part 1. Hello and welcome to the next big series of pairing... You've all been waiting for it. Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. The prequels are still wars. We'll talk about them now. Yes. Sorry, I just had to let Kiki in because she said, What? You guys are recording? This is great. I'm here. So, yes, we're starting the Star Wars series. Um, No matter what, this episode is probably coming out before, well, maybe not no matter what, but probably this episode is coming out before the release of The Rise of Skywalker. And if I timed it right, you know, we would have done this so that we did every movie chronologically up until The Rise of Skywalker was released. I didn't plan it right. I'm sorry, but the time has come. We must talk Star Wars. You were supposed to be the chosen one. I was supposed to be the chosen one. Oh, my God. Okay, so... That is the line, I think, that encapsulates the entire prequel (laughs) series delivered by Ewan on Planet Mustafar after he chops Anakin limb from limb um, uh, after the high ground... Which is never a factor in any other lightsaber oh, fight that's right. becomes yes. a thing for the first. I have the high ground. <laughs> I, well, that's never been a thing. Yeah. That's so, what. No, I. I. We. I'm pretty sure we do the big jump thing all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, it's my opinion that you, this is not a uh, thing. And then he's wrong about that for reasons. Oh my god. 
Well, okay. So we are going to try to release these episodes in the chronological order of the story of these movies, which, okay, we're starting out with the prequels, which, guess what? Everybody has big feelings about them. And so Winston is going to defend them, though I think we'll all agree that there are big weaknesses to these films. Yes. And you may at me, my most controversial opinion that I have in in all of any fandom at all, period, is I believe Revenge of the Sith is a better movie than Return of the Jedi. Just on the merits, I think it is better. Okay. And I, 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 I'm happy to tell you why, but I want to start where you want to start. Maybe start by, uh, let's talk about this quaffable yeah. wine. Yeah, bit. no, we're going to talk about... the prequels are better with wine. For sure. But this wine, this wine is not about it being quaffable. Okay. What, I picked out a few grapes that are what I call divisive grapes. Because there are people who just despise them despise these wines and for most of these wines i'm like eh, you know like i could i you know they're not my favorites but i could kind of take them or leave them this is maybe the most controversial grape that exists in the wine world oh my well maybe not controversial but this is a well why don't you taste it first and tell me what you think smell it and taste it all right smells pretty good okay smells like like a little bit of earthiness in mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. I'm liking that. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to... Ooh, see, I like that because mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of that tannic bite that I like in those yeah. Tempranillos. Yeah. Um, but there is also that kind of fruit forwardiness at the same time. So, yeah, that's a little weird. So, this is a Carmenere from Chile. And Carmenere is one of the wines that people hate the most. It's... But... What I think it is, it's like cilantro or cilantro. Um, right. It's it's not even necessarily a quality thing. It's there's a certain taste to this wine that some people just despise. Right. And I hate I I hesitate to tell you this because when I tell you tell it to you, you might not like it because I know this is a flavor that you don't like normally, Winston. But what most people don't like from Carmenere is this pyrazine kind of component, which is like a green pepper. It's like a green bell pepper. Mm. And so it's just that, that bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of that bitterness and that greenness to it. And, and it's a bit, but, but otherwise I agree with you entirely. Like, yes, it's dry. It's tannic. Um, it's kind of, so the history of Carmenere is quite interesting for a really long time. Everyone, Carmenere, it, it, it's a French grape, but it's been made most famous in Chile. And is it hybridized at all? Or was it just possibly, imported? Possibly it was hybridized, but, but mostly it's just imported. But there was a large period of time where everyone thought it was Merlot. And so everyone thought that Chilean Carmenere was Merlot. Mm. But it's not. It's a, it's a totally different grape. And I actually think it reminds me more of Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon because Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon also has this kind of pyrazine green pepper quality to it, oh. um, which okay. I find mostly interesting. Like, it's not my absolute favorite flavor in the world, but for just like a nice, like you were yeah. saying, nice quaffable, inexpensive wine to drink, like which a lot of these Carmeniers and... Yeah. Chilean cabs are like it it doesn't offend me I know it it like offends some people and so in fairness I do think that bell peppers are garbage yeah (laughs) for human consumption yeah in their native form I think there's some roasted red peppers I can get behind it's not Mm -hmm. my favorite Mm -hmm. Uh, I love a romescu sauce romescu romescu yeah yep and that's got the the pepper in it yeah um and I can certainly deal with small amounts of chopped green bell pepper, but I don't care for them. Yeah. I think that the taste is just, it's like, it's like the cilantro thing. Yeah. Like I just find like the raw bell pepper or even like a slightly sauteed bell pepper that comes with fajitas or in most Chinese dishes, yeah. I find them revolting. So I think that that is how a lot of people feel about the Star Wars prequels because it, you know, and it's not even so much a... With the, with the Star Wars prequels, because we just rewatched them. And for me, this was my first time rewatching the prequels in a long time. And 
I do want to talk about also, I mean, we're going to talk about this throughout the whole Star Wars series because, Winston, you're going to be on most, if not all, of this series because you are, though I consider myself a big Star Wars fan, you are a Star Wars fan in the way I am a Lord of the Rings fan. And so, like, you know the names of all the characters and planets and everything. I actually just got all those compendiums back from my mom's house. They'd just been gathering dust and box, but... I had, as a child, I had the book that had every droid in it. I had the one that had every ship, the one that had every character, the one that had every planet. Um, and, was like, wouldn't memorize that, like, at one point, and I don't remember it now, but at one point I knew the the fictional private company that manufactured each fighter Yeah. in the show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of, like... That kind of level no, of... No life, for, <laughs> former extended universe, like, obsessive. Sure. Um, sure. And, and I think that that might be part of why you are a little bit more forgiving of the prequels than some other people, because I, as far as I understand it, there's a lot in the prequels that is in these compendiums and this extended universe that otherwise those of us who didn't read, read that literature as as children or whatever or young adults or adults um and and so i think there's a lot that went over my head um in terms of the world that was in the prequels and i i i don't know the the main tension that i want to talk about is because the 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 things that the prequels are doing is one establishing how the empire began right. and how the empire was created simultaneously with that explaining what happened with Anakin Skywalker aka right. Darth Vader and and actually I highly recommend the clone wars they are better wholesale yes. than the prequels and uh, and by extension better than return of the jedi I love mm-hmm. the clone wars but I actually I want to back up for a second. Yeah, let's back up. you said something about it going over your head. And I think that yeah. is like a typical like nerd defense of lashing out. Like, oh, well, you just don't know. Right, I think right. the flaws of Star Wars, the prequels, are so apparent. Yes. Um, that it has nothing to do with knowing the universe or not. I think my, my impression mm-hmm. is that most of the people who hate the prequels... They have specific things they can point to, but the general gist is, what a waste of potential. Yes. You know, just like Anakin in that scene, um, this these movies had everything you could possibly, a filmmaker could possibly ever want, you know? Unlimited money. Yeah. Uh, the most advanced technology in film. All these people at the top of the game. I mean, if you're a fan of Mythbusters, Adam Savage and Grant Imahara that is designed cool. most of the ships in the prequels. Like all the Nabooan fighters, the, the yellow ones with those cool mm, like mm-hmm. Art Deco jet things. Yeah. Like the, Grant Imahara built those. That's really those, cool. You know? And I and think it's like so much less than the sum of its parts. Yes. That it just yes. infuriates people. Yes. I. Um... And I think that's a fair Yes. Um, There's also racism. and Yeah, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the general consensus is that, oh my God, Jar Jar Binks, yeah. George Lucas, what the fuck were you thinking? But... Yes. But, but, I do think, you know, in rewatching these movies, okay, so... All of these things make sense. There's there's a lot to unpack here, but just in in response to kind of the first part of this of like things going over my head, my point with that was, I mean, here what I will say is this. Well, let's okay. Let me tell you my Star Wars timeline. Okay. Um, which I'm not sure if I've ever told you, Winston. But and then I'm curious to hear your Star Wars timeline. Sure. I remember going to see my first experience with Star Wars. I remember going to see The Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. in theaters because they did a re release yeah. in theaters when I was like eight or so, yeah. which I think was r- seven or eight. It was right before The Phantom Menace came out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I saw at least Return of the Jedi before because I think once I saw. And the Empire Strikes Back, I wanted to see the Return of the Jedi. But I didn't see A New Hope until 
a little bit later, I don't remember if I saw it before The Phantom Menace or not. I honestly don't because I was, it was pretty young in my life. But I, I remember being aware and being drawn in to the world as a, as a very young person. And, um, I mean, just visually, it's dazzling. It is. It is. And, but what I will say is as an eight or nine year old, I started in the middle of the story and I understood it and I was drawn into it in watching and even in rewatching the prequels now as a 30 year old person i understand like i mean obviously i understand like the interpersonal story that's going on there and i've got lots of feelings about that but the overarching story i feel like i lost a lot because you know you were telling me about all of these things and like all of these side characters all these people as we were watching and i was like I had no idea that that person was important. I had no idea what that planet was. I had no idea. And I feel like there was just a sort of fundamental uh, storytelling that is lacking in the prequels because... And, like, yeah, everybody blames Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman to a certain extent. Um, But the the ultimate problem is with... The writing, yes, but just the the overall story storytelling, because I think that actually the unlimited budget almost was a hindrance in mm-hmm. the case of these. Because what's so beautiful about episodes four, five, and six is that they're they're not super high. But I mean, at the time, yeah. well, you could you could probably talk more about it than I well, can. But one thing I like to do in talking about the prequels versus the original trilogy is mm-hmm. it's like. Uh, George Lucas's journey from like scrappy young underdog, mm, which is mm-hmm. again why why the original trilogy trilogy I think feels so like you know alive and passionate. Yeah. Like this was a bunch of kids like sh- shooting models of battleship yeah, kits. Yeah. That they, you know like Carrie Fisher's like nineteen, out of her mind. Harrison Ford, yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. The, the odds were so against them. And then his transition to this all-powerful Hollywood figure that nobody yeah. can say no to kind of mirrors Anakin's yeah, descent. Yeah, in a way. Like, he was the chosen one. Yeah. George Lucas invented new ways to make movies and changed movie culture forever. Yeah. And in so doing, he kind of sowed the seeds of his own downfall. And by by the way, I will point out, I saw all those re-releases in theaters too. Yeah. And people hated them almost as much as the prequels. Really? Yeah. I don't Be- remember like that. All but... the added CGI. Oh, yeah, and the, yeah, like, yeah. That's right. Like people yeah. would be like, well, okay, some of the background stuff is cool, like that they added more, but like we didn't need that scene and that stupid giraffe that they animated in the one, like that didn't oh, add anything. yeah, yeah. But I I loved it, obviously. Yeah, and see, I, I guess I wasn't as aware of it seeing it for the first time, you know, that, and as a, as a child also, like that, that yeah. just sort of went over my head. I was drawn into the world and the story yeah. and, um, and, and Empire Strikes Back is still my favorite Star Wars movie of all, I think. Um, I mean, some of the, some of the new movies give it a run for its money and that's, and I'm curious to hear, I don't think we've ever talked about what your favorite Star Wars movie is, mm. but I, you know, it kind of changes sure. based on the time, but I honestly, I'm a big fan of Last Jedi. Yeah. And I know people hate on that a lot, and I acknowledge all the flaws in all the films, but I think Last Jedi kind of has the most to say. I and think it does, Unlike too. the prequels, it doesn't fall over its face trying to say it, because I think the prequels have a lot to say. No, they do. The, I think you're right. The prequels have, like, spiritual things to say. They have a lot to say about yeah. corruption and yeah. how democracies fail. I mean, that line that Natalie Portman has when she says, this is how liberty dies, to thunderous applause. Like, yeah, it's... Th- there's some really good points that they're trying to make about, like, the morality of giant governments yeah. and how susceptible people are to uh, being led astray and... You know, how, like, the Jedi ultimately are arrogant. Like, the Sith's criticism of the Republican Jedi is right. Yeah. You know, and I think Last Jedi ties that up really well when Yoda's ghost and Luke um, basically burn 
you know, one, where the Jedi sacred books are kept. I know that. Well, I they, think that I mean, sorry, them, but, sorry, to, sorry. To, yeah, I don't to, want to get too off on it. Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 backtrack a little bit, but I I do think that Last Jedi actually does a better job of critiquing the Jedi than the prequels do. Right. And so and so, just so much of the prequels feels lazy is not the right word, but it it's it's like. Un unnuanced in in a way that the original trilogy and the most recent movies have been. And I think unedited. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, George Lucas was just off on his own crazy ride, and yeah. it's like, yeah, he had some big ideas that were actually pretty poignant and smart, but then he was like, and uh, we'll throw in some totally like cartoonish stereotype, like Gullah Gullah. Uh, oh my god Gungan, you know it's like yeah. you can still have the gungans but you can't have them talk like that and you can't so have for their the, culture be reduced for those of for those of you listening like me who might not know off the top of your head who the gungans are that's the jar jar, jar Binks, Binks people and which okay when i watched it when i was a kid when i when i went to go see the phantom menace which came out when i was about nine or ten years old i think i was ten years old um when i went out and watched it i was like this character is annoying. I already didn't like the character, but I didn't get as a kid that it's incredibly racist and offensive oh, yeah. the way that they talk. Anyway, I we could get into that. I'm not going to I I think we should glaze over that because it is clear that that is a Yeah, we all hugely that. bad decision on George Lucas's part and whoever let that happen. Well, that's I think people were powerless. Like at a yeah. certain point, you attain this perch where only like the massive Disney corporation now can say no to George Lucas. Like, that's they're true. They're so big, they were like, "Fuck off." Well, and part of I mean, we I know we've got. I mean, I do want to stick to the prequels, yeah. but but I think part of these Star Wars episodes is going to be we're going to talk a little bit about everything, which is cool. And what I do think is nice about the most recent movies, again, not having seen the most recent one or not having seen The Rise of Skywalker because it's not out yet, but J.J. Abrams clearly loves the the franchise, loves Star Wars. Right. I, to see the franchise feels like wrong because it is a franchise but you can tell that he loves the story and kind of the mythology and as you've said winston the kind of the religion behind oh, yeah. star wars i fully think that star wars is like an ironically powerful religious text absolutely absolutely i think i think you know you look back at this time in history and there are certain texts or pieces of pieces of art that will dictate what we believed in and what were our values and i think that star wars is the epitome of kind of like cultural significance at least at least you know like in america i can't speak for the rest of the world but i know that it's a it's a big phenomenon in the rest of the world as well but when well, i think that like i was saying the other day on the facebook Oh, were you talking on the Facebook? I was indeed. And mm, so unlike you. We had just finished watching the prequels again. Yes. And it does well something that the original trilogy does really well, which is to sort of show you again and again and again without like beating beating you over the head with it, even though there's nothing subtle about any Star Wars mm -mm. movie. But they go out of their way to show you that not everyone's going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. That sacrifices will have to be made, you know? You're going to lose Qui-Gon. You're going to, like, most of the people who go up in those fighters and try to, like, fight the big battleships, they yeah. are going to die. Yeah. And we watch them die. We watch them explode, you know? And that's the whole beginning of The Last Jedi as well. Yeah. Is, it's, it's all about sacrifice. And I yeah. think that's really important. Yeah, that's really true and really important to remember. Yeah, and it's like you got to confront mortality and realize that you are a very small part of a very big universe but that doesn't mean that you can't do amazing things yeah and that may be way more generous than the the trilogies deserve but i do think even in the prequels they managed to get that point across okay let's take a pause here for me to tell you about our sponsor for this week wink so the holidays are approaching and that means a few things buying gifts being around family and or celebrating by yourself. No matter what your holidays look like, there's one ingredient that will make them better, and that is, of course, wine. 
And Wink is such a great resource because they will choose the wine for you based on a short palate quiz. You can then add, subtract, or switch out their selections to make sure that you're getting the wine that sounds best to you. Does that Carmenere that we were drinking during this episode sound cool? Well, that was the Alma Libre Carmenere that was sent to us by Wink, so you can try it. Part of what I love so much about Wink is that they have well-made, interesting wine coming from all over the world, so it's a really great way to educate yourself and try new varietals or wines from different regions. If you already have a Wink subscription, or just don't feel like it would be right for you, you can gift a discounted box to a friend or loved one this holiday season. It's guaranteed to be the best gift they receive. And then you or your giftee can decide if you want to skip shipments or get more shipments because there's no monthly fee or commitment. And right now, Wink is offering our listeners $22 off your first order when you go to trywink.com slash pairingpodcast. And it gets even better. Paying for shipping is the worst. So Wink will actually pay for your shipping on orders of four bottles or more. When I ordered my first box, I got the four bottles, and with the $22 off, it amounted to less than $10 a bottle. That's a better deal than I get with my industry discount at a wine store. So take something off your holiday to-do list. Just go to trywink.com slash pairingpodcast to get $22 off your first order now. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash pairingpodcast. And now, back to the show. I do think so, and and I do think that, like you said, I, I don't agree that Revenge of the Sith is a better movie than The Last Jedi. I don't think anyone does. Hey, everybody, I think I misspoke here. I meant that Revenge of the Sith isn't better than Return of the Jedi, not The Last Jedi. I personally think that The Last Jedi is better than both of them, but that's a conversation for another time. I <laughs> I don't agree with that <laughs> statement. Um, yeah, prepared for that. But I do think that it is the strongest movie of the prequels and that most of the criticisms of it probably happened. Well, my main criticisms of Revenge of the Sith, I mean, have to do with the overall basic general problems with Anakin's story, but, but more so than even the other two movies, which I think are weaker, um, are, is Natalie Portman's character. She is suddenly pushed to the side. Yeah, where she's and, been very active in the first yeah, two, and now she was, she's an object. Yeah, and she just becomes the vessel to, you know, be, right. you know, it, it, and she kind of loses all agency and everything like that. And yet, yes, in the second movie, she's over-sexualized and this, that, and the other thing, and the writing is terrible. And, like... You know, obviously we know Natalie Portman is a great actor. Like, yeah. she she has done some good work since then. But yeah, Attack but... <laughs> of the Clones is not her best performance. It is not her best performance. And it is but the it worst is... writing of any part it of the series. It is so bad. It is so bad. Really and yes, and, and Hayden Christensen is not great. Or his performance is not great. No. But but in rewatching it, God I, you know. the poor kid. Yeah, watching this as an actor, I'm like... What are you you know what? What are you going to do with this? And and the way that both he and Natalie Portman speak, I'm convinced that that is how they were directed to speak yeah. in this kind of flat, emotionless way. Yeah. And because because we've seen Natalie Portman do so much more. I mean, she was young, sure. Maybe yeah. she was growing and learning. But but because it's very similar the way they give their performances, I'm kind of like, oh, that's what George Lucas wanted or something. Right. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and I, I, I honestly think that, yeah, sure, Hayden Christensen isn't great, but I'm not sure how much better anybody else could have yeah, been. Yeah, and I, I feel bad both for young Anakin, I forget what his name is, I Stephen forget Lloyd, his name is, but. Um, and Hayden, they both went through, like, a lot of trauma yeah, over how much hate yeah. they got. And, and it doesn't change the fact that the performances and the writing are both subpar. Yeah. But going back to the religious text analogy. Except for Ewan McGregor, which yeah, well, we'll get yeah. to. If you we'll watch, get to that. <laughs> if you just watch it as Ewan McGregor's movie, and even better, if you pretend that actually there's a secret romance between Padme and Ewan, then it's a or whole different Anakin movie. Or Anakin and Ewan. Yeah. Oh, That's God. Ewan McGregor's a treasure. He is. Let's get back to that. Okay. But go, So the go religious text thing. Yeah. Religious text, yeah, you want to read the whole thing, but you get to pick and choose the parts that resonate with you. That's true. That and is one true. of the ways I think you can 
watch the prequels and enjoy them is if you start breaking them down into their constituent parts. Right. Which ultimately is what doesn't make them strong films is because they do have strong parts, right. but they are not a sum of their whole, which which right. we've mentioned before. But there are strong parts. And I'm sorry, I'm cutting in. I'm, I'm no, cutting go, over go you. But what I, what I will say is, and you've mentioned this, and, and what is true... The fight choreography, Ray Park. Oh my God! In these in these movies is is possibly is some of the best in all of Star well, Wars. And it's so, so funny because the the fight scenes in these prequel trilogies, yeah, they do so much more work than yeah. all the dialogue yeah. in the entire series. <laughs> they do. <laughs> like Duel of the Fates tells you everything you need to know about Obi Wan, Qui Gon, Darth Maul, and and what's going on. Like that scene where the Force fields click into place and each character treats it completely differently like Darth yeah. Maul is pacing yeah. and like poking at the thing Qui-Gon just sits there like meditating and yeah. then Ewan is like you know he's all tensed up yeah, and he's jacked ready. and ready, he's ready, to, ready go. to go and but... the, the, like the way the characters treat those interludes um is incredible, and then the it's and then it's just ballet. I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah, no, that it, it's the, almost like I wish. Well, part part of what I, I was thinking about this, I almost wish that these movies were just animated, because again, the Clone Wars are amazing. Yeah, and I I haven't seen the Clone Wars, and I really want to watch them. Um, and I'm sorry that I keep cutting in, and I'm sorry that we we keep cutting. Getting off, but there's Look. there's so much to talk <laughs> yeah, about. It really is a lot of ground to cover. Um, but I, you know, I do think that those are the strongest moments, the more abstract moments, and I do think that the movies kind of shoot themselves like. I know this bothered a lot of people, but honestly, like I know this was state of the art animation at the time, but the animation, even at the time was distracting to yeah. me. But those lightsaber fights are not animated. No, I know. But They're I'm real. I'm talking I'm talking about, you know, like the the ships and ships the, and the, the Jar Jar Banks and yeah. everything everything. Like that was and and you know, everybody realized that and has corrected for these most right. recent movies. But um but you know, part part of me almost wants these movies to be animated. Um, in right. a way, if they're if they're going to go for the aesthetic that they're going for, I'd rather them be just fully animated instead of like kind of half live action and half animation. Right. But, um, but I'm sorry to cut you off. No, I do want. I, I, I do have a couple. I do have a couple wine thoughts that I want to bring in. Let's get them. Yes. Okay. So one of the things I wrote is that these movies are over oaked. So it's like there's, you know, so I've talked about this before, um, that certain certain wines, when the fruit is not good, you add a bunch of oak chips to it to just cover the taste of the wine. And mm. and if you're not discern, if you haven't drunk enough wine, if you're not discerning enough to know what that tastes like, you might just be like, oh, yeah, this wine tastes fine. But... These movies feel over oak to me. They feel like uh, George Lucas threw oak chips into them. Like he had a really good idea, but couldn't execute it well. And so was just like, okay, let me put all these fancy things in here. Right. And Yeah, like almost he didn't, he didn't trust himself and some of his technical people enough. So yeah. he, just, he just glossed over everything with this veneer of like, sort of three-year-old googly yeah yeah animation yeah when again the there's actually really interesting parts of the story like in the phantom menace they're dealing with like the government is not going to help you yeah look at the uh, giant private interests have captured the government yeah the only way we're going to be able to survive is to take matters into our like that's a pretty revolutionary thing to put in a hugely capitalist movie and like there's even within scenes like self-sabotage like mm -hmm. the pod racing scene mm -hmm. the sound design in that is incredible sound design is incredible and they used real jet engines yeah and built models of them and like all of uh, there's a lot of practical effect that went into that scene but then they have to make all the other pod racers like goofy cartoon characters yeah you know and th i think that did a lot and the other thing is like you were saying the other night like you need Han Solo. Yeah, that's... You need somebody who's cynical about the reality that you're building because nobody challenges that, really, 
in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Like, even when Anakin is having his stupid freakouts later, and he's like, Padme, I did a genocide. It's all <laughs> Obi-Wan's fault. Oh. And Padme's like, yes, okay. And yeah, like, I know. And you're like, everything that led... That's, that's part of what drives me absolutely nuts about the storytelling is that, you know, the writing is terrible, but Padme is established as a very strong, very smart character and for her to hear this super adolescent opinion of what's going on and to be like okay well just be safe it's like no i don't believe (laughs) that (laughs) maybe you're a fascist let's make out yeah it doesn't it it just it does not connect to me um like you need a character whose value system is different yeah than what you're mainlining because Speaking of. Otherwise, it just comes off as Here like comes Queen. too self-satisfied, too self-serious. And it it doesn't work. And yeah. it undercuts everything you're trying to say. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and like you were saying when I brought up this, because this is something that I've said for a long time, that what's missing from the Star Wars prequels is Han Solo. And I think with the, with the new trilogy, what episode seven and eight, and hopefully nine, will do is have three slash four slash five main characters. Um, you know, if you bring in, you know, Rose and uh, and Kylo, who all have very different energies and very different experiences, different different levels of optimism and cynicism and hope and despair. And I think that that is very Star Wars and is beautifully executed. Yeah. Um, and, and Obi-Wan tries so hard to fill so that hard. gap. Like so Ewan McGregor hard. tries oh to be that cynical character. Well, okay. In the first movie, I don't think he's quite found his footing yet, but Mm-mm. in the second and third movies, it's like, just wait for his scenes. You know, like, well, his so, scenes are the good scenes in the movie. As as I've said to you, the way I feel about Ewan McGregor in the prequels is the way that I feel about Martin Freeman in the Hobbit movies. Right. Perfectly cast. Whenever he is the focus, the everything is good. Yeah. And for the most part. But what The Hobbit didn't get was that it was about The Hobbit. New Line Cinema. But, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to blame Peter Jackson entirely. I mean, he kind of, he kind of sold out, but, but I, I believe that he knew he was selling out. Anyway, that's a different story. If you want to hear me talk about that, go back to the first episodes of the, <laughs> of the podcast. But it's a similar thing to me of like, uh, it's actually quite similar, actually. I think yeah. the Hobbit prequels. On those Hob- the Hobbit action scenes are, talk about over-oaked. So overoaked. It's like, <laughs> it's yeah. This should have just been a cartoon, like mm-hmm, the cartoon mm-hmm. Hobbit movie from the seventies or whatever. So is much better. Much better than so much this better. trilogy. And again, it's like the Hobbit has a very like cheeky air to it. It the does. The narrator's voice is funny. The first, like the first oh, interaction yeah. in the book, is uh, Gandalf just being a a funny asshole and he's like oh do you mean it is a good morning whether I like it or not or do you mean it will not be a good morning until I leave right. you know like right. like it's all that sort of you know cheeky shit and and then in the movies it was so like serious yeah and, you know, and, like, and well it just missed entirely the spirit of the book yeah while I feel I feel like the prequels of Star Wars didn't necessarily miss the spirit of Star Wars but but just kind of simplified it. And because what's what's really beautiful and what you don't even necessarily, or I didn't even necessarily understand or don't when I'm watching a Star Wars movie, I'm not thinking, oh my God, this is such a, an amazing commentary about civilization, religion, you know, the way that empires are built, the way that corruption builds. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is a really compelling story. Or and, not. Or not. Well, but the the prequels missed that for me. Yeah. And, and as, as I think they did for most people, because, because they didn't marry... Anakin's journey with this the story and I think well I don't think they committed to it no I don't think so I mean I mean 
they were trying to do something very ambitious and something yes. that is not done very often, which is a reverse hero's journey. Yes. You know, to go from wide-eyed innocent to cynical, evil child murderer, literally. Right. And I think that that's a worthwhile story to tell, but I think because George Lucas couldn't take advice and couldn't really commit to this immense project in the way that he had committed earlier in his life, yeah. um, he ended up doing all that fluffy side shit. You know, like mm-hmm. the diner scene and oh, yeah. Attack of the Clones where it's like, oh, Obi-Wan, oh, my attack, old buddy, gonna get you a cup of joe? And it's just like, what the fuck is going on? But yeah. then it, Obi-Wan goes and finds that planet where they're making the clone army. Right. The like weird semi-slave army yeah. <laughs> that the Republic's gonna yeah. use to fight the Separatists. And all that, all that shit is great. Like, yeah. that, his fight with Jango Fett is great. When, like, the horror on his face as he's, like, seeing all this this gigantic military project that's been happening in secret. And you got this military-industrial complex commentary yeah. as well as... I heard somebody say that, you know, the Jedi are so immoral and attack the clones because they're using a slave army against people who want self-determination. But mm. I would counter that by saying that it's not necessarily the people in those systems who want self-determination. It's the banking clan, mm-hmm. the tech union, mm-hmm. the trade federation. It's all these giant, you know, feudal private uh-huh. interests that aren't giving anybody a say. They're just yeah. deciding what they want to do. And and so I like that moral ambiguity, you know? I, I like, like that. I like that, too. But what I have to say is is just as someone who's watching these movies not being as well-versed in the world of Star Wars as you are, um, a lot of that goes over my head, honestly. I lose a lot, of, which which it doesn't in the the episodes 4, 5, and 6, and episodes 7, 8, and 9. Well, I, don't, I haven't seen 9 yet, because it, it hasn't been out yet. But, and Rogue One, and even Solo. Like, I get, there. there's a marriage between the story and the overarching more societal issues that are happening and i i i just i lose a lot of that in in the prequels well and the other thing is um i know it's like a um trope but the prequels take place almost exclusively with like the most elite people in the galaxy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you got your Jedi Knights, you got your Queens and Senators yeah, and Congress yeah, people. Yeah, that's true. Um, there is no, like Captain Banaka is, uh, p- plays a small part in the first, but then we never really hear from him. Like, I want no. more of his story. Yeah. This is just a dude trying to get by, you know, and yeah. um, again, we have no Han Solo. Yeah. Because Jar Jar Binks didn't work as like well, the and workman even, character. And even Luke Skywalker, who like we learn eventually yes is is right has has this lineage um he's a farm boy he's a farm boy just like ray is nobody Mm -hmm. as far as we know and to me the most interesting character main character is finn right um but we're gonna save that conversation (laughs) we're gonna save that conversation but again that's that's why I choose to focus on the component parts of this yeah. that I find I, really good. So let's talk about the component parts that are really good. We've talked about the fight scenes because okay. those are objectively incredibly strong and the best parts of these And I movies. think they're they're just as good for storytelling purposes as the ones in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yes, the pacing is different. Mm-hmm. It's moving a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But it's still telling... Uh, like really great character story. Yes. And especially the, um, I mean, I think Duel of the Fates is probably my favorite fight scene and piece of music in any of the films. I would say part number two that is really strong is the music. Yeah, John Williams. I mean, mean, this is technically not our first Star Wars discussion on pairing because if you haven't listened to it yet, um, the John Williams episodes that I recorded with Christopher Dole um, are some of my favorite discussions that I've had on the podcast. And so I really encourage you to go back and listen to those. And in part two, we talk about specifically John Williams music in uh, The Last Jedi. But John Williams, besides Anthony Daniels, well, but even even Anthony Daniels was not in Rogue Well, I'm not sure that John Williams did Rogue One. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he did. But 
But anyway, so Anthony Daniels, who plays C-3PO, and John Williams are the through line of these Star right. Wars films. And that's really that's really beautiful to me. And, and, and John Williams really, I think, created this world as much as, John, as George Lucas did. But... Well, and also the sound designers. Sound designers like, as well. Let's not this, discount that. You know, yeah. All the all the Naboo fighters in the prequels, you can hear they sound like World War Two era like mm-hmm. bombers. They have mm-hmm. that like, and then uh, the pod race. You have the what the the um, Sebulba, the bad guy in it. His his thing is like yeah, yeah. There's so many distinctive sounds. I mean, the lightsaber, obviously, obviously, but. All the all the ships, you know, doing the different things, and it's like, yeah, okay, we're just we're doing sound in space now. Yeah, you, know, you just all the movies do it. You just gotta like roll with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it wouldn't be. You, you right. can't. You yeah, yeah. Let's leave. Let's leave out the fact that there's no sound in yeah. space. The but, Tie Fighter, like the the sound was created by spinning around a fifty eight Sure microphone mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of speakers. <laughs> you know, like they they invented so much sound design that I think has influenced every film made since. And the prequels continue to do that. And the level of their design in some of those scenes, like some of those space fight scenes are very beautiful. They don't have maybe the emotional resonance um, that, you know, a suicide mission against the Death Star or, Mm -hmm. you know, on Hoth. Like, I I freely acknowledge that, but if you look at it from a design perspective, like, that is extremely well executed. Uh, design again. Shout out to Grant Amhara and Adam Savage. Right. Um, so that's a thing. And um, also, speaking of design, I do think that the costume design oh, and production yeah. designs are incredible. And speaking of the costume design, Winston and I got to go to the Star Wars costume exi- exhibition mm-hmm. at the Denver Art Museum a couple years ago. I'll try to go back on my phone past the. You know, hundreds of thousands of pictures of my cats um, <laughs> to find some of those photos. But the the costume design, I do think, is beautiful. Yeah. And also, I mean, Natalie wh- Portman and Carrie Fisher were both tiny. Well, people. they were super tiny people. But this was something that was really striking to me, and this is something that I feel like encapsulates part of the issues between the different movies. But uh, we went to this costume exhibition, and I think there were two, maybe three, of Carrie Fisher's costumes. It could be that they just couldn't get those costumes or recreate those costumes because they're a lot older. Um, but if you rewatch episodes four, five, and six, I mean, she doesn't have a ton of costumes. She's got like a white tunic. She's and got a her slave w- bikini. Yep, and she's got. And then and, she's got and, her Hoth like winter. Yeah, de- yeah. That's like she's, it. She's got. She's got a few, and like there's maybe a little variation. Yeah, there's the there, gown when she but, puts the medals on them. Right, but there's, but then you, but you, but the majority, well, not the majority. Or her commando outfit on uh, Return of the Jedi is really good though. Yes, but anyway, my point is, she's got. Less than ten costumes, probably in the three movies. Natalie Portman had like thirty, and they and, are works. And of they art. are works of art, and they are gorgeous and amazing. But it's really interesting to me the difference, and this is something that I talked about about kind of the backtracking in the in in like the value of women in science fiction because Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia were such a, such an iconic and such an important part of well and she's a full on action star in that yeah. trilogy oh yeah she at is at no point and, and, and like even when they have her in the bikini she's like she chokes that motherfucker to death yeah yeah and I mean, then goes on a commando mission like, exactly you know? exactly like and meanwhile you know like when Natalie Portman, I mean, I remember because I think I was about 12 or 13 when Attack of the Clones came out and I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to look like. And I had a whole lot of issues with my own body and the fact that I didn't look like that. Oh no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but, but in rewatching that, I was like, Oh man, the fact that that made me, you know, like really uncomfortable about myself and my self-esteem, like <laughs> it it bothers me because I'm not sure that Princess Leia in the bikini would make 
girls feel that way about themselves because it's so clearly the point of the slave bikini is she has been enslaved and is put on display while in the battle scene with Natalie Portman she's like oh no suddenly my shirt got torn off and it just felt like very male gazy right and and yeah, of course, the slave bikini is male gazy, but yeah, it's. I mean, but then she turns around and kills yeah. her male gazer. And at and one so point, it like, just once she is choking Jabba and doing all that stuff, you forget the fact that she's in the bikini. Like I, you see I it when she's so, when yeah. she's lounging and stuff, and it's yeah. like okay, there many many a fantasy slave bikini has been sold. Yeah, in, throughout I forget the world. I forget what Carrie Fisher said about that. She's like, she's like, uh, I've, I'm, people I'm have both, jerked off to me. <laughs> yeah, but but she said but she said something about like I am so many men's like biggest fantasy and worst nightmare at the same time. <laughs> oh, Carrie Fisher yeah. just but she's like hopping off treasure. that speeder thing, and she's still yeah. in the bikini. Yeah. But you don't notice it anymore because she's too busy swashbuckling. Yeah. Natalie Portman, even when she is swashbuckling, um, especially in the second movie, it's like, yeah, it's all that like, oh no, my shirt is torn. Yeah. You know, like, and it just it just misses in a way that both episodes four or five and six and seven, eight, and probably nine, because Ray is also one of the most amazing uh, women in oh. also just as a short woman, short dark haired woman, I love the Star Wars movies because I'm like, oh, here are people who look like me being amazing, and I'm sorry, I like I know I have so much privilege being white and being you know like cis and... cis and 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 everything everything like that, but you know I I have struggled with body image issues and just. Being able to see people who look like me more or less being heroes is a huge deal. Yeah. And and I can only imagine how other other films that have done better to to represent heroes that are not uh, quote unquote typical, how much that means. And so that I just I just wanted to mention that. Okay, we are going to pause this conversation here for now and pick it up next week when you will find out Winston's argument for why Episode 3 is better than Episode 6. Stay tuned. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Scherzarko with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Scherzarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine. <laughs>